Uh, last week, uh, kind of had a weird thing happen, and in second service, you're a little bit more aware of this than uh, first service was. I had to kind of fill in the gaps for first service, but uh, last, uh, last Sunday, I was down in the prayer service we have before, uh, prayer time before uh, our services on Sunday, and uh, down there praying, and just the Lord, you know, brought to mind, uh, you know, the fact that our church last year had no new conversions uh, th- that came to our church, and no new baptisms, and this kind of thing, and, and, and again, it, it wasn't a, I didn't feel like a sense of guilt over that, right, and none of us should. We, you know, God is the one who's in charge of salvations, not us, and, and sometimes we get the privilege of being a part of that, and other times it just seems to be quiet, and, and so uh, there's no guilt in that at all, but but as I began to think about that, and, and, I, and I began to pray, I says, Lord, I, I want conversions. I want to see new lives, new spiritual lives. I, wanna, I want us to be a church that gets that, you know, that fresh new look of Jesus, right? That we would be able to be around people like that. And, and so as I began to pray that prayer, the number 12 showed up in my mind. Now, for some of you uh, who know I'm a Seahawks fan and know that the 12s is, you know, the fans of the Seahawks or 12s, you may be going, oh, yeah, of course 12s came to mind. But um, so we can't get too excited about 12s. But whatever reason, 12, the number 12 came to mind. And, and so at first service, I didn't think much of it other than to tell the church that I, I asked that we would begin to pray in the first service to, that God would bring new converts to our church. And then in between services, uh, I had a, a man come up to me who used to be a pastor. His name's Frank. He's Grace's dad. Maybe you've known him, met him, or whatever. But anyway, he comes up to me, and he, out of, he doesn't know that I have had this experience. He comes up to me out of the blue, and he says, you know, you're talking about praying for conversions. He says, one time when I was a pastor, the Lord put the number 12 on my mind, and I began to pray to see what God would do with that. And immediately, I was like, whoa, okay, what's going on? This 12 is a pretty cool number, right? <laughs> Um, I thought maybe he was a Seahawks fan at first, but no. So last, last week, no, definitely no. So last week, I, I mentioned to this service that I'm praying that the Lord would bring 12 new converts, and I don't know if that number is, and really it's not about the number, uh, and because it's not about us, right? It's about him and what he's going to do. And for whatever reason, he gave him this number, and so I'm throwing it out there. And, and understand, you know, this is not like a call, you know, this is not a call to you guys to, you know, get out there and start doing your work, okay? That, that's not the point. Again, the point is Jesus. He's the one that brings converts. Our job is simply to focus our attention and our eyes and our lives on him. And as he leads us into those redemptive conversations, then we get to enjoy that amazing gift of watching someone give their life to Christ for the first time. And so this isn't about us trying to create uh, this 12, right, and try to go out and get that and make that happen. This is about us just saying, okay, Jesus, if that's your will, then we're ready. But then Monday happened. (laughs) God is so good. And our first convert came into the kingdom of God in our church. Amen? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Audrea Kamarik, for whatever reason, goes to her parents on Monday evening and says, hey, you know, I think it's time that I ask Jesus into my life, right? Ah, what a gift as a parent, right, to be a part of that. But I was just shocked when Laura texted me and said, oh, you got to get this in. I don't even know if she was thinking about the 12 converts thing or whatever. But uh, she sent that to me, and immediately I'm like, oh, my gosh, 12 is too little. We need more, right? Um, (laughs) 365 maybe, I don't know, right? Uh, (laughs) But... 
I, I think it's just an affirmation from maybe what, from the Lord that maybe he's saying, yeah, you know what? It's time maybe for this church to enjoy some of this harvest that I'm bringing. And uh, I'm excited about that. I, I, I don't know what that's going to look like. But yeah, Robert. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Elizabeth, yeah. Where are you? There you are. You're, you're sitting on the wrong side. I'm used to looking over here. <laughs> yeah, Elizabeth, yeah. You had a bunch. How many? Yeah. Praise the Lord, huh? So good, so good, so good. Ah, so good. So, why is there a cross in my way on the stage? <laughs> why is it bumping up against my Roman zone? Um, you know, we're, last week I introduced the, this, the series that we're heading into this year, talking about learning to engage with our neighbors in order to share the love of Christ with them. And um, I talked about the fact that, you know, again, it's not about us learning the tools. It's not about us, you know, uh, training ourselves so that we are ready now to be able to share the gospel with uh, those who don't know. Those things are important and they're part of maybe what we need to do. But that is not the answer to bringing people to Christ. I think the answer to bringing people to Christ and sharing the love of Christ is to deepen our passion for Christ. When we recognize what he's done and who he is, what he's provided, who he's seeking, and what he inspires, then we will just automatically begin to share the love of Christ with more and more people. So this week we start our first series, and for the next seven weeks we're going to be spending time on the cross as we reflect on the seven statements that Jesus makes on the cross. You know, the funny thing, anytime we uh, talk about Scripture, and I find the Lord brings this to mind often in my own just time of prayer and study, that, that I have such a hard time, and we have such a hard time understanding what was going on 2,000 years ago. You know, to understand what was happening when Jesus was on the cross, what led up to it, but while he was on it, what was going on. And, and so I always feel this, this sense that I've got to somehow communicate and try to help us to understand and that the Holy Spirit would help us to understand the tension that is happening in the moment of the cross because we're 2,000 years removed, you know, and look at this cross. It's so pretty and clean and nice and smooth, Right? And so we can get this false perception of what the cross was and what it's all about. But I want us to take some time to consider this cross. Because, you know, there's nothing in our culture that, that allows us to really understand the tension that, that, that was between the Roman government and how it oppressed the Jews, right? I mean, it, we, we can't fully understand that because there's nothing in our world that really we can really relate to in America, right? It's just, we, we don't, can't get that. We, there's nothing we can point to and say, oh, it's just like this. No, it may be a little bit like that, but it's not. There's something more there. There's nothing in this world that allows us, in our culture, that allows us to understand the tension 
in the hierarchy, in the church, between the Pharisees and just the regular Jew who was walking the streets and trying to live their life for Jesus. They're not for Jesus at the time, for just for the Lord, right? Well, it's nothing. We, can't, we have a hard time understanding that. There's no other kind of piece of, or religion that we can really point to that will help us to understand that tension. There's no other point. There's no other capital punishment that we have today that can help us to understand the torturous nature of the cross. See, see we, we just don't get it fully. Now, now, some of us in the room maybe have got, have, have watched, have, have somehow got through the movie The Passion of the Christ by Mel Gibson. Bloody movie. Hard movie to watch. I remember watching it and just, uh, you just have to turn away at times. But if you've watched that movie, then maybe you get a little bit of sense of the pain, the physical pain that Jesus endured on the cross. But, but with Jesus, it wasn't just the physical pain. There was so much more there. There was emotional pain and relational pain and spiritual pain. I mean, think about it. This is a guy who lived his life for 33 years perfectly. The last three, he, he, he lived with, you know, just serving other people and caring for other people, looking out for them, never wanting anybody to serve him. He washed his disciples' feet, the most menial task that any servant would have to do. He did it for his disciples. This is the man who, who, who lived these 33 years and now is hanging on the cross as a criminal alongside murderers and thieves. And then his friends, his best friends, the guys who spent three years with him side by side living together the ones that he placed kind of his hope in that, you know, that they, you know, he had a message to share, not just for while he was there, but after. These were the guys that were going to take this message to, to the ends of the earth. And at the moment where he most needed them, and the crisis moment when he is a, being hung on the cross, he gets to see every, every one of them turn their back on, on him. Imagine the relational pain and the struggle that he must have felt to be totally alone on the cross. And then the mocking that he took. King of the Jews, they would spit at him. The mocking that he took with the sign that was placed over his head as <laughs> not as a title, to proclaim, but as an accusation to shame. Imagine him going, wait a second. The loss of hope, the loss of friendship, the loss of mission. It was so much more We can't imagine it, or maybe we can just a little bit. And if you can, think about this 
while Jesus was hanging on the cross, his, na- his wrists pierced with nails. In the process of dying, a three-inch thorn stuck into his brain, into his skull, right? Not this nice, smooth cross, but a rugged piece of wood digging in to his recently scourged back. And then he says this. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Those words are perhaps the greatest shock of the cross. I mean, think about it. I mean, we, we, we could see, you know, this Jesus we've come to know. I mean, we could see maybe an angry Jesus on the cross. After suffering all of this, after what he had done for everyone, how all the miracles he had performed, the people that he brought back from the dead, the people he had healed from all kinds of illness, the ones that he served and cared for, you could maybe see maybe an angry Jesus on the cross who was actually there to call down the wrath of God on all of these people for their sin, for their criminal behavior, how they've treated the Son of God. How dare they? We could get our mind around that. That makes sense to us. We could say, yeah, that would, be, that would be something that we could see him saying on the cross, but not, Father, forgive them. Or perhaps, maybe, we could see a humble Jesus, realizing that maybe he's just gone a little bit too far, obviously. Pushed the people too much. He offended the Pharisees too often. And now... He's getting what he deserved. So he's suffering, and and so he might apologize for his behavior. But again, consider Jesus' words. He didn't give up. He didn't become, you know, like all of a sudden he'd lost his vision of what God had put him here for. With confidence, with boldness, He doesn't ask for his own forgiveness. He asks for their forgiveness. It's amazing. But there's more. You see, this amazing truth, when he spoke those words from the cross, not one person had repented of their sin. You see, he, he offered forgiveness before anyone recognized their rebellion, before anyone came in repentance before him. See, the forgiveness didn't come because they repented. It, became, it came before that, right? It came before the repentance came, before the sorrow came for what they had done, before they realized the sin and their rebellion against God. And this is true even to this day, not just 2,000 years ago. Around the globe, There are people who are recognizing for the first time that they're forgiven already. In the midst of their rebellion, in their darkest day, when they realize that they've totally turned their back on God and all that is good, and they recognize that he has already forgiven them. And they bow on their knees and they say, Jesus is Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for what you have done and for taking my sin, for forgiving me. This is true, continues to be true. Every day, Jesus' forgiveness is always offered before repentance.
Even more unbelievable is the fact that Jesus didn't offer, just offer forgiveness. But he also took our sin. He took our sin. Our sin, which we have committed, that we're guilty of. He took. It was placed on him on the cross. And more than that, he paid the penalty for our sin. We, we don't have to pay for it. He did. It is just unbelievable. Not only does he offer forgiveness, but he also offers to pay for the penalty of our sins. He, he has a father who is a God who is just. And this just God cannot just overlook our sin. You see, he's a loving God, and a loving God cannot allow sin and evil to continue without punishment. Because he loves us, because he, he, because he loves us, he is just. And because he's just, he has to punish every sin, no matter how small or how big. Every one of our sins was placed on the cross, on Jesus, and he paid the price for all of our sin. The little, you know, I stole gum from the store, the little fib that you told, as well as the big ones like murder and adultery, he's, he paid for all of them. Although this forgiveness is offered before repentance, we only get to enjoy the forgiveness through repentance. Jesus has indeed taken the blame for our sin, making forgiveness possible. But in order for us to enjoy its benefit, we must make the free choice to repent. There are many in our world, because of their arrogance, because of their pride, because of their selfishness, will never humble themselves and repent of their sin and as a result, they will spend eternity in hell. But for those of us who are willing, who recognize our rebellion and our sin, when we bow our knee to Jesus and we confess our sins to him and say, Lord, we've rebelled against you, Lord. Have mercy on our souls. Lord, forgive me. Lord, accept me. He does so. Now, the first time we bow our knee to Jesus, we, we, get, we get it all, right? We get, we get Jesus, we, we, get, we get the Father, we get the Holy Spirit, we get eternity, we get forgiveness. And that forgiveness takes care of the sin before, the sin after. It takes care of it all. It's all taken care of. It's all been paid for. It's all been forgiven. And because of that, our eternity is secure, it's not based on our day-to-day -day confession. However, we do still sin, right? We do still have the Holy Spirit reveal new episodes or perspectives of sin that we didn't have before. And we need to continue to practice repentance, not so that we can secure our place in eternity, but so that we can deal with the effects of sin in this world today. Sin continues to bind Christians, not because it's not forgiven, 
but because we have not repented of it and we're allowing it to continue to control us. Our eternity is not in danger, but our joy and the enjoyment of this relationship with Jesus is in danger. Because sin, it loves to bind us and to hold us back and to tell us, tell us that we can't do things because, you know, you got that sin in your life. Oh, you can't follow Jesus there because, you know, you've got this thing. What if the people find out about that, right? And so this is constantly controlling us. And so we need to recognize that as Christians, we need to practice regularly repentance. It's not just a one-time thing. However, there are many of us as Christians maybe that have only repented one time. Now again, understand, our eternity is sure. That's not the problem. The problem is allowing those sins to continue to entangle us here. When God wants us to walk in freedom here. Another aspect of this repentance and confession is the fact that, you know, we have a God who is, and I praise the Lord for this, that he's able to read minds, right? He's able to know what's going on in our brain. And so a lot of our repentance is just done in our own personal times of prayer, in the secret place in our homes and the secret places in our mind where we commune with the Lord and we're able to recognize those sin and we can confess them to him and he takes care of it and, and we feel his forgiveness wash over us and we are free from that sin. But the Bible also tells us that, you know, sometimes we need to confess to one another. There's a place for confession in the church. There's a place for us to come before our brothers and sisters in Christ and to share the sin in our life. Now, now not necessarily all the time, but there are some sins, maybe you've got a sin that you've been struggling with. Maybe you've confessed it a billion times in your prayers with the Lord in your mind, but it still entraps you. Understand that maybe that's the kind of sin that needs to come and be spoken to the light. The reality is a sin flourishes in darkness. There are some sins maybe we've been even afraid to say to God in our minds. But that darkness, the sin and darkness is going to continue to control us, continue to heap guilt and shame on us, continue to keep us from doing and following the Lord wherever he may lead. And so sometimes we just need to speak it out. There is just something about when we say something that all of a sudden it becomes more real. But more than that, I think it's also important that we're able to hear with our physical ears, you are forgiven. You see, sometimes just reading that in Scripture is not enough. Sometimes just hearing that in our minds is not enough. Sometimes we find that it continues to just eat at us. But when we have a brother or sister in Christ who hears our confession and then speaks over us the words of Jesus, you are forgiven. It can maybe break that bond. Maybe that's the peace that we need, and I think it is for some of us. Now understand, in a moment, we're gonna, I'm going to invite some of our, our key leaders in our church to come up and to be here to take some confession this morning, to give you an opportunity to do that. But understand their role. Understand, uh, they are not forgiving you. Matter of fact, you might not go back to them later and say, hey, are we okay? <laughs> no, just joking. But no, I mean, they're not the ones who are offering forgiveness. They are simply quoting Scripture to you. It is Jesus who forgives you. 
but that when you would come and that you would confess to this brother and sister in Christ and they hear your sin and they don't shirk at it, they don't run away from you in it, but they accept you and put an arm around you and say, you are forgiven, that that would break the bonds of sin in your life. See, God has, Jesus wants us free. There are too many of us who are allowing guilt and shame to bind us because of our sin. We need to break that chain. And so this morning, I want to give an offering and I give an opportunity for you guys to come. Some of you need to speak this out. I also want to give an, off, an opportunity for a different way to express it as well. Up on the table, up here front, we've got some paper and some pens. Maybe you just need to write your sin down as another way of kind of expressing this. Write your sin on one of these pieces of paper and then leave it on the table at the foot of the cross. And leave it there. And then return to your seat. Many Christians are aware of their sin and are struggling against it, but have yet to find freedom from it. Your sin is still controlling you and wreaking havoc in your life. Some of you have given up the struggle because your countless battles and mental confessions seem to have had no effect. But you can have freedom. So I'd ask uh, Derek and Becky... And Glenn and Debbie, if you'd come up on each side of the stage, those would be those you can go to if you'd like to give a verbal confession this morning, to confess your sins to Jesus and to hear the words from him, you are forgiven. Others of you, maybe, again, you just want to come and write and place it on the table, then encourage you to do that as well. This is an opportunity for us to do that. Write your sin and then leave it on the table and return to your seat. We'll have a song or two, and, and just so you know, if it, I don't know where you're at. I don't know what the Holy Spirit's doing in you. And, uh, and so maybe you're not going to come up at all, and that's okay. There's no judgment. There's no like, oh, I can't believe that. I understand. I mean, some of us have dealt with sin, and we've been freed, and, and we can praise the Lord for that, and there's nothing. So that's awesome. So this time for you to just continue to worship. But I would say that maybe there's some of us in here, I'm, I kind of struggle with this, this sense, you know, I, I, I'm pretty good. Yeah, I'm good, you know. I don't sin that much, really, you know? Uh, and if that's you, then you, you need to do what I need to do, and I do this, try to do this as often as I can, just to pray Psalm 139, 23, and 24. Search me, O God. Know my heart and reveal the wicked ways in me because we all have wicked ways. And so maybe that's what you need to be praying during this time of worship is just, Lord, if, if there's anything else that I don't know about, let me know. And it's not that we're searching for the, uh, for the dirt, right? But that, that he would... Let us know those sins that are binding us, that are controlling us, that we can't get freedom from because they continue to heap guilt on us and shame. So as you feel led, come forward. Respond in whatever way you feel like you want to respond or stay in your seat and just respond in worship. And may we find freedom this morning as we practice some repentance.